Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. Well, today's episode is going to be a little bit different than what I would normally do. We're going to talk a little bit about a deep geological repository versus a rolling stewardship scenario and how those two things compare when we look specifically at the risks involved with spent fuel storage. One of the important things that's being overlooked when we're talking about um, spent fuel is that this stuff already exists. It's already real. We already have it here in Bruce County. We're not talking about whether or not to create it. We're talking about what to do with the stuff that's already here. So whether or not we have a DGR built in South Bruce, we still have spent fuel on the shore of Lake Huron. That's going to be there regardless. With rolling stewardship, it's potentially going to be on the lake shore forever. We really need to be pragmatic about which storage solution is the safest for the long term. Rolling stewardship is basically what we're doing right now. And yes, it is safe right now. Will it be safe forever? No, we can't guarantee it will be safe forever. Can someone guarantee that a DGR will be safe forever? No, no one can guarantee that either. But we can look at the numbers and look at the evidence and, de- and decide which, um, which scenario or which solution is going to be safest for the longest amount of time. And another question we really have to ask ourselves is, do we want to rely on humans to keep it safe? Or do we want to put our faith in nature and rock and things that have been stable for billions of years? So we'll start out with the risk of human error. That's come up a lot. How humans, they do, they make mistakes. That's the nature of being human. There are specific things that are in place in the nuclear industry and within other industries called human performance tools that they teach their employees and their staff to try to eliminate human performance errors. So everyone knows they exist. We know they happen. There are things you can do to try to eliminate them. You know, when we're going to compare a rolling stewardship or doing what we do now forever versus a DGR, the risk of human error is extremely high with rolling stewardship because we are banking on people looking after that waste forever. Whereas once we put it into a DGR, we're relying on nature. We're relying on a solid rock formation that hasn't moved for billions of years. Which kind of brings me to the next point I have, which is active versus passive storage. One of the benefits of a deep geological repository is that it's passive storage. So it doesn't require human intervention. It doesn't require ongoing maintenance. It doesn't require those things. It's nice to have them. I'm not saying that they won't be there. It's nice to have monitoring and maintenance and people and those things, but it's not required with a DGR. But if we look at rolling stewardship, we do need humans to maintain and monitor and repackage indefinitely and do all of these things to the spent fuel to make sure that it remains safe. So it's very much an active process with rolling stewardship. You definitely need to have people ready and willing to do the work. So we can do a direct comparison for the number of barriers that would be there to contain the fuel. So when we talk about rolling stewardship or what we do now, basically we're looking at three or four um, barriers. Four is if we're counting the building. So very much like with the DGR, we're going to have 
the ceramic fuel pellet. We're going to have the fuel bundle and it's going to be in some sort of container or dry fuel storage cask right now. If you include the building, it would be four barriers. But with the DGR, we're adding that fifth barrier. We're adding that barrier of the impermeable rock formation that's been stable for in South Bruce, I think the estimation, um, I think we'll probably see numbers fairly soon because they're wrapping up borehole studies. But it's been at least millions of years, I think billions of years for the deepest rock where that rock has not shifted. It has not moved. It has not had access to air. It's been solid and stable down there for a very, very long time. We talk about um, one of the important things is the waste being in traditional indigenous territories. And unfortunately, you know, with rolling stewardship, if we keep doing what we're doing, that waste is going to be in that territory forever. And if we build a DGR in South Bruce, the waste is still going to be in indigenous territory forever. There's not really a, there's not really a way to get around that unless we start looking at, at other options that aren't on treaty territory. And for me personally, I can't make a statement on where that would be because I honestly don't know. But that also brings me to my next point, which is to do with transportation. If we do rolling stewardship, some people say that for a rolling stewardship facility, it should be brought inland and everything should be centralized. So that would include transportation. And same with a DGR. If we, if we construct a DGR here or in Ignace or anywhere, there will be a transportation element, depending on how far away it is from the site um, or from the existing nuclear sites and things like that. So I think unless you're going to do trans, unless you're going to do, excuse me, a rolling stewardship at each and every individual nuclear facility, then you will have a transportation risk involved or the transportation will be required. The, the thing is, you know, if we're going to say that we should do rolling stewardship at each and every individual nuclear plant to avoid transporting nuclear waste, then we go back to that waste is always going to be a risk to the lake. So, you know, when you start putting the different pieces together, it kind of starts to play together and you see the bigger picture. So in terms of what does the industry need to do or the nuclear industry, you know, do we need an active and healthy nuclear industry and a nuclear regulator? And the fact is for rolling stewardship to work, we keep doing what we're doing forever. We need the nuclear industry to survive. We need to have active industry and regulations to make sure we're doing all of the things required safely, you know, to make sure we have the training and the knowledge and the expertise and the oversight and the will um, to take care of this material forever versus a deep geological repository because of its passive safety, we wouldn't require the industry to be active. So down the road, should a government decide we're not supporting nuclear power anymore, that would not affect the safety of a DGR because we wouldn't need the industry to be there and be active to take care of it. We hear repackaging talked about a lot and how the repackaging facility is an unproven technology, which is absolutely 100% false. I'm going to get into that in a different episode, but that statement in itself is totally wrong. Um, so when you're looking at a DGR specifically, the fuel would only have to be repackaged once, maybe twice, 
Um, it might have if the transportation cast was different from the from the dry storage cast or from the eventual um, DGR selected container, it may have to be trans it may have to be trans or sorry repackaged twice. Perfect scenario would be repackaged once. But if we're going to look at a rolling stewardship situation where that fuel stays on the surface indefinitely, those packages are only licensed for 50 to 100 years at a maximum. So every 50 to 100 years, we're going to have to be repackaging those facility, those, sorry, those fuel bundles in hot cells, the same as the repackaging facility that would be at the DGR site. Only we'd have to do it constantly for the rest of time. And the more we're gonna repackage them, the, the more the risk is that something will go wrong. The, the higher the risk that, you know, those fuel bundles are gonna get old and things might start to fall apart or, you know, corrode through. But when we can get it and just repackage it one time, the, the risk is very, very low. We have, there's extensive expertise and experience using hot cells. It's not a new thing, despite what some people try to tell you. Um, and, you know, I feel like expecting to be able to do that for eternity versus one time just seems crazy. And the 50 to 100 years when we repackage all the time, that's happening on the shore of the lake. It is going to be happening where the nuclear power plants sit today. Um, so basically, you know, like to protect the lake in the long term, we really do need to move this stuff off the lakeshore for the long term. So in terms of what the fuel, actually we'll, go, we'll skip what the fuel's protected from for a minute. Um, is the fuel retrievable for future use? The answer is yes for rolling stewardship. And it's also yes for a DGR, but the, D, the yes for the DGR is a little bit more complicated because once the DGR is sealed and decommissioned, it would never be impossible to get the fuel out if we really wanted it. We could totally get it out. It would just be more time consuming and more expensive. And as it says right now, reprocessing can-do fuel isn't economically attractive, which is why nobody is really looking at doing it. Um, so yeah, like both of these have retrievable fuel for the future. Um, and when we go back to the lake, we can talk about the distance from the lake. So with a rolling stewardship approach, that spent fuel is gonna be less than three kilometers from the lakeshore for the rest of time. Whereas if we look at a DGR, or the geological repository, and this is only the one in South Bruce, I know there are other, I'm not, I have no idea what the statistics are or the distances for Ignace, obviously it would be farther um, from Lake Huron, but I'm not sure what their distance is from Lake Superior. Um, but from Lake Huron, right now, that spent fuel would be more than 35 kilometers from the lake and an additional 700 meters underground. Um, so again, we can talk about the factors. If anyone's wondering, I'm reading off of a chart that I made a while ago. So that's why, that's why it kind of bounces around, but so factors ensuring the ongoing safety, very much like I said before, you know, to ensure safety, we're going to be relying on humans to monitor and repackage this indefinitely. 
Whereas with the DGR, we're looking at nature. We're, we're banking on the rocks being the way they've been for billions and billions of years. And then you really have to look about at how quickly does change happen in the environment that you're wanting to store this material in. So when we're looking at the surface, things happen and change very, very quickly. We saw that happen with the war in Ukraine and how quickly, um, you know, Russian troops took over the Ukrainian nuclear power plants and how very quickly that all changed. Whereas underground in the, in the depths that we're looking at for a DGR, things happen very, very slowly. So very small changes underground can take millennia to happen, like thousands of years, which is an incredible difference when you look at how quickly the situation on the surface changes versus the situation deep below ground. Oh, excuse me, a bit of a yawn there. Uh, one of the big questions we hear all the time, is fuel being abandoned? And I think the answer to both of those essentially could be yes. You know, it depends on how you look at it um, and how you look at abandonment. Um, with, with rolling stewardship on the surface, you know, if for whatever myriad of reasons society is unwilling or unable to look after that fuel, it's abandoned. It is abandonment. And with the DGR, you know, the human, humans can totally, um, what's the right word? Anyway, the word's escaping me. But humans can totally plan to, or, you know, make the conscious decision to abandon this site. It could happen. Um, the difference is, though, when we are we're planning for that to happen, you know, with rolling stewardship, we're not planning for what happens when or what happens if humans forget about it or don't want to look after it. But with the DGR, we are making that plan. What happens when humans aren't able or don't want to look after this waste anymore? Well, it'll be underground. The rock will take care of it. We're making that plan B for when society no longer wants to do this. It's not even really a question of if, it's a question of when, because it will happen. We've seen societies fall apart countless times in history. Um, will monitoring take place? Yes, for both, absolutely. There is a place, there is a plan for monitoring for, for both, um, both storage systems. Is it adaptive to future knowledge and best practice changes? Absolutely. There's nothing stopping us from changing the plans for the DGR. There's nothing stopping, you know, in the future, if we were doing rolling stewardship to decide to build a DGR because a society smarter than us realized that, oh, this actually is the right thing to do. We actually should do this. Why didn't you do it back then? They can change the plan and make it later if they want to. Um, and then, you know, let's talk about what is the fuel or waste products protected from you know so if we have it above ground versus underground so if there's a war if you know world war three or whatever um actually happens and canada is involved um you know luckily that doesn't happen often but if it does what uh you know what does that look like so if we have our fuel above ground it is not protected 
from war whatsoever. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be there and be subjected to whatever's going on on the surface. Versus if it was underground, there would be a lot more protection. Not to say that it wouldn't be possible. You know, someone out there is going to say, oh, they could drop something down the shaft. And yeah, sure, they could, for sure. Um, but we also have to look at what's reasonable and what's expected and like what makes sense. You know, aliens from Jupiter aren't going to come and steal our spent fuel. So like we have to keep things realistic. Um, and what about ice ages? You know, the next glacier. Obviously, fuel on the surface is not protected from the next glaciation. What's stopping that glacier from wiping this fuel down into northern, the northern states and just leaving it there forever? The well, answer is nothing. But if it's in a DGR, it's protected, again, by the, me the hundreds of meters of solid rock above it. You know, we can say the same for terrorist attacks. Surface storage is not protected. DGR protects it. The loss of institutional control. So, you know, there's no regulator. Another pandemic comes. Um, things like that that make it impossible for humans to fulfill their duty to maintain it on the surface. Whereas a DGR would be protected. Same with natural disasters. Surface is very vulnerable to that. Underground, not so much. Um, and I think, you know, one of the last things that I think is really, really important when we're talking about this scenario of, you know, if there ever was an event where one of the fuel bundles, if we're talking about surface facilities or one of the containers, which also could be a surface facility or a DGR, you know, if one of those containers did become compromised and was unable to contain and isolate those radionuclides the way it's planned to, how long does it take until that affects us? How long does it take until those radionuclides or the contamination or whatever you want to call it, how long does it take until that gets into the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the food we eat? And the answer when we're dealing with surface facilities is that's immediate. That immediately is in your air. It immediately will be in your food and your water. Immediately. Whereas if we have it in a DGR, you know, depending on where the failure happens or, you know, there's a lot of different scenarios about how that could play out or what that could look like. You know, but just with the hydraulic conductivity of the rock and how long you know, the fuel bundles and the ceramic pellets, which have survived the reactor core, you know, a fuel bundle looks the exact same when it comes out of the reactor as when it went in. And if it can withstand that increased temperature and that increased pressure and not change at all, you know, sitting in storage isn't going to do much to damage it either. But in the unlikely event that it does, you know, some of the numbers I've ran could be as much as 3 million years. 3 million years, and that's for water to travel one meter through the rock. And, you know, how, how does that change the response? You know, how does that change the response to the scenario? If we have, you know, 100 years from now, a surface container 
has a compromise and the radionuclides get out into the environment. We need to react immediately. There is no time to, to try to figure out, you know, every minute and every hour that you would spend trying to figure it out is a waste of time. You know, it's a waste of an hour where we could have contained it versus if we have it underground, I look at it as an investment in time. Whereas with the monitoring systems in place, there will be, you'll see that there's a, something going on and you have time to react before it gets into anything that we are going to eat, breathe, or drink. It is not going to have an immediate effect. It is going to be a very slow, a very long-term planning session you could have to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we fix this now? Um, which to me is obviously <laughs> preferable. I'm no, I'm not shy about saying that I think DGRs are way safer than what we do now. I think what we do now is extremely safe. But when we look at the long term and what's best for the long term, the DG, DGRs are way safer. And, you know, what I would really like people to start doing is, you know, really looking at what are the risks of doing what we keep doing? Like, what does that actually look like 10, 20, 100, 300, 500, 1,000 years from now? You know, people, people who are proponents of rolling stewardship and keep saying, this is the answer, this is what we need to do. They never talk about how that could go wrong, which is, which is ironic when they always say that no one talks about the downsides of a DGR, which I don't think is true at all. I think the possible risks of a DGR are talked about, but those risks are actually exponentially low. You know, anti-nuclear activists don't want you to know that because they want you to be scared. That's what they make their money off of. You can go on the CNSC website and see how many groups get funding from the CNSC to basically argue against nuclear power. You know, so if we, if we get a viable solution, they are gonna lose their income. And that's why they don't like DGRs. And I think, you know, we really need to be, like I said, we need to be pragmatic about it and look at the positives and negatives of both of these storage solutions because the waste is here. It's not going anywhere. Um, I have a few previous episodes that you are encouraged to listen to. Um, if you haven't already, I have one. I have two, actually, with Roy Payne from the United Kingdom where we talk about underground versus overground storage. Um, and we talk about the incident at the WIP, the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant in New Mexico. Um, and I also have my most recent with Dr. Jeremy Whitlock, where we talk about, you know, how rolling stewardship actually is abandonment. DGRs are good stewardship. Uh, there's that too. So, you know, there's lots of good information out there. And there's lots of, there's lots of people who are just against the DGR for a lot of reasons that actually have nothing to do with the DGR. Um, it's just that it's easy to manipulate you into believing what they want by using scare tactics. Um, you know, when you see posts that are based on speculation and, um, you know, unproven things, there's no evidence. It's just, <laughs> it's just pure speculation. Um, you know, you really need to think about what, what's the motivation there then? 
why are they doing that? Um, but that's a different topic for a different day. Um, so yeah, you know, rolling stewardship versus the DGR. You really, we really need to start talking about what the what the real risks are, not the not the perceived risks, not the exaggerated risks from people who are opposed to the project because they're going to blow the risks way out of proportion. Um, but a real, realistic look at what each one of these means and which option is the safest for the long term. And not just for not just for the safety of Lake Huron, but we need to look at our community too. What is best for South Bruce in the long term? What's best for the majority of South Bruce for the long term? Catch you next time. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Mm -hmm.